Good morning, Bethesda Church. Good morning. What a beautiful morning in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the beautiful songs. And thank you to band and choir and the worship team. And let's continue to have our hearts and minds opened for what the Lord has in store for us for the remainder of the service this morning. I invite you respectfully to open up your Bibles together with me to the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew to chapter 10. And I'd like to read from verse 16. And I'll read from verse 16 to verse 33. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. The discourse in this passage in Matthew chapter 10 focuses more so than anything else on the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Bless you. The message of the kingdom of God. Early on in this chapter, we see that Jesus calls the disciples to himself and he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And as he sends them out, he tells them how they are to proclaim the kingdom, what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to look out for. He tells them that persecution will come from verse 16 down to verse 25 especially, he tells them to expect persecution, to expect the fact that they will not be liked and appreciated by everyone they come into contact with. And then 
in verse 26 and onwards, he tells them that there's no reason why they should fear. He tells them there's no reason to fear. He tells them about the fact that um, everything will be proclaimed on the rooftops, from the housetops. Everything kept in secret will be revealed. He tells them that they're more valuable than sparrows, that all the hairs on their heads are covered and numbered, and that they are not to fear. And then in the last couple of verses that I read this morning in verse 32 and verse 33, Jesus makes a very important statement that I would like to focus on this morning, and it's that of acknowledging Christ or acknowledging God. In verse 32, he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is, I think, and I believe this morning, a very important aspect of discipleship. This year, as you all know, as we all know, we are embarking on a, or have, we have already started on a journey of discipleship, of talking about discipleship, of understanding what the implications of discipleship mean for us practically as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I wanted to bring this topic to the surface this morning for all of us, for us to understand what it means as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, to acknowledge God. Um, and if I would put a message on this, or a title on this message, it would be Acknowledging God as Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What does it look like to acknowledge God? Um, we see that uh, in the scriptures, the term to acknowledge is, is used quite heavily in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it seems that it's, it's become very cliched at times. Um, where we talk to our fellow brothers and sisters or fellow churchgoers and we say, man, you have to acknowledge God. You know, if you're going to make this decision, acknowledge God. Acknowledge God, acknowledge God. And the reality is, is that even though it's clichéic and it's a term that we use loosely, it's a very important aspect of discipleship. A very important aspect of discipleship. And when I was younger, my parents would drop me off to school. And... You know, I, I used to see all the, the young guys and girls in school and they would have the latest, you know, tennis shoes, the, the latest running shoes, the latest apparel. They had the coolest toys. My parents, you know, had emigrated from Romania. They held jobs that were not as high paying. And I didn't show up to, you know, to school in the best car. I didn't have the latest and greatest shoes and clothing, the sneakers, the Air Jordans right? I didn't have the nicest basketball on the playground, right? These, these kids came with like $100 basketballs on the playground. I was like, man, I wish I had like tore up soccer balls and stuff that we used to, to get from who knows. And that was just kind of how our lives went. Um, and, you know, at times I was, I'll, I'll be honest with you, as a young kid, I was a little bit ashamed. Um, I, I would be in the car and I would get out and, you know, how many young people like to hear mom and dad in the morning right in front of their peers at school say, Give me a little kiss. As young people, I don't think we like that, do we? We kind of run away. But you know, now as a parent, as a father of four beautiful little ch children, I want nothing more than when I go places and when I hang out with my kids, if I go somewhere for my kids to say, 
That's my dad. That guy. Smart, good looking. No, I'm just kidding. I want nothing more than my kids to acknowledge me. We heard the beautiful song this morning in which we heard the words, remember me, remember me. And I'll tell you something, God remembers you. God knows you. He knows you beyond just the the color of the shirt you're wearing this morning, the hairs that he counts. He knows you beyond that. He's closer, like Luther said, than the shirt that you wear. He acknowledges you. He knows you. And he takes good care of you. The question is, what about us towards God? How is your acknowledging of God in your circles, in your school, in your workplace, in your community? How do you acknowledge him? Do you acknowledge him as a disciple, as a follower? Do you identify with him? The the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, let us go outside the camp. Let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Christ. He calls us to go outside of the place where everybody's hanging out and wants nothing of Jesus and to go out where Jesus is identified outside the camp. When you think of camp in in Jewish literature, you think about the camp of Israel. Let us go outside the place maybe of religion, of sin, of comfort and bear the reproach of Christ, be with Christ, acknowledge Christ, live for Christ and love Christ. Now what does it really mean to acknowledge Jesus? The term that's used here in the passage is homologeo in Greek. And homologeo is used quite extensively in the New Testament. And it carries the idea of saying the same thing as another. To say the same thing as another. To agree with another. And so when the writer here, Matthew, he he talks about acknowledging Christ, he's basically saying it's, It's more than just a profession through speech. It's actually agreeing with that person. And that agreement will translate into identifying and and being one with that person when you acknowledge someone. And so I would submit to you this morning that to acknowledge Jesus Christ as a disciple means not only to profess with your mouth that he is Lord, not only to profess that he is your savior, savior, but to actually go beyond that and agree with what he tells you to do, what he says about yourself, and to follow up with action to prove and to show that you are his follower. The same passage has the word deny, right? But whoever denies me before men, said Jesus. The word in Greek is arneomai, which means to contradict someone, to refuse or to renounce something. So in in effect, Jesus is speaking and he says, if you contradict me before men, if you renounce me before men, if any way you refuse me before men, I myself will, in other words, refuse you, renounce you, deny you before who? My Father who is in heaven. Now, to deny, once again, is not just, biblically speaking, saying that you deny Jesus, saying that you don't agree with Jesus, but it goes on further in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. The the writer of Titus, Paul, wrote to Titus and he told him that there were people 
who would deny Christ or deny God through their works. Verse 16 says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their words. What does it say there? By their works. And these are the same people who are defiled, who are unbelieving, who have given themselves over to Jewish myths. And so we see right, right in this passage here, in, in this verse, that those who deny Christ don't only do so through words, but through works, through deeds. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, those who don't provide for their own families have denied the faith. To deny God, to deny the faith, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives or for members of his household, he has denied the faith. You see, this has to do with deeds and actions and works. Jude 4, verse 4 tells us that there are people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and consequently they have denied the faith, denied the master who bought them. So through our actions and through our lifestyles, through the way in which we live, we can deny Jesus or God. It's not enough just to say, well, I, I actually profess him as Lord, but I kind of live on the fence sometimes. There's a time coming, if it probably already has come, and it will intensify when the followers of Jesus Christ will need to get off the fence. They will have to choose one side or the other. Choose this day whom you will serve, said Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a day coming, if it hasn't come, when you will have to make a radical choice to acknowledge Christ or to ultimately deny him. And you see, the deeds that we have, the works that we have, not just our words, are of paramount importance to God. That's why we see so much writing in the New Testament about faith, that faith without works is dead. Martin Luther has a famous quote in which he says, quote, salvation is by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Salvation is by faith alone, but faith is never alone. In other words, your deeds prove your faith. Your deeds and my deeds prove if we are denying Christ or acknowledging Christ. Evil and, God, and ungodly deeds and words are a denial of Christ. Conversely, godly contentment and good deeds are acknowledgement of Christ. But practically speaking, I want to take it one step further this morning and teach you and remind myself as well, what does it mean practically in the West, here in the United States of America, the place where God has called us to live, how do we acknowledge Christ as disciples in our day-to-day -day living? Because that's of paramount importance. We have nine to five jobs. We take our kids to soccer practice, to band practice, to piano practice. We do all these things. We, we take vacations. We have a busy life in the West. Initially, I was going to preach on losing your life in the West, right? Because Jesus said, whoever loses his life for me will find it. So we have to learn. We have to talk about these things because they're radically important 
And in the end, what really defines us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is what we did with the teachings of Jesus regardless of where we live in society. Praise God that here in America we've benefited so much over the last several decades of so much freedom and opportunity to serve God and worship in freedom. And just praise God in prayer and song every Sunday without worrying about people coming on us and attacking us. Like that young pastor in India, a 16-year-old guy that I was reading about on the internet. Michael Brown went to a conference in India and he said, how many of you have suffered for for Christ? Like 80% of people there raised their hands nonchalantly because they had been beaten or suffered for Christ. It wasn't a big deal. All of them were beaten. And the 16-year-old pastor there 80% of his body had been burned because of some Hindus who had come up to him or some other religion and they spilled acid all over his body. They burned 80% of his skin. 16-year-old pastor. Society around us would tell us that this young man just wasted his life and he paid for it because he shouldn't have thrown his life away to become a pastor. I would submit to you this morning that he did not waste his life and that he gave his life for the greatest purpose for all of humanity to serve Christ and to honor God. And yes, he paid for it. But ultimately, he acknowledged God. He acknowledged Christ. He's a prime example of someone who stood up regardless of what the cost would be. And the first thing I'd like to say this morning is that acknowledging Jesus means to acknowledge him in the presence of others. To not be ashamed to talk about Jesus in your sphere of influence, in the workplace, at school. Isn't it true that many of us who work at companies places of employment, at times, we'll have conversations about things like equity, diversity, inclusion. Those are the big words these days, aren't they? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Isn't it true that we hear sometimes Muslims chime in or Buddhists chime in or people, unfortunately, from the lesbian and gay community who chime in. And they say certain things. And everybody applauds. And we have a moment, we have an opportunity to say something about Christ in our position, in our identity. And so many times, Christians in the workplace, Christians in society become cowards in their acknowledgement of Christ because of The fear of man, fear of rejection. Now, I'm not saying that we have to dive into situations and put ourselves in harm way. There are moments when we have to be wise and stand back and not say anything. But there are moments in life, in society, in community, when God gives us the opportunity to say something, to speak something on his behalf, to be a voice to be the mouth of the Lord, to be the mouthpiece of the Lord, to say something about the love of Christ, and we don't do it. And as Paul Washer would say in his sermons, that God created the heavens, God created all of nature, and he tells the, the clouds to move and they move, and he tells the 
the sea to move and it moves and the waves crash down and the birds fly to and fro and all of creation listens to God. And it is perfect cadence with the will of God. The heavens declare his glory and God creates man and he calls man to do something and in his sinfulness man says, no! How pitiful and how sad that Jesus who bled on the cross 2,000 years ago, who gave his body on the cross to be tortured and whipped and bruised and beaten, waits for us to say something because he didn't have any problem being on that cross, despising the shame, as the Bible tells us, and stepping out and saying, I'm doing this for you. And we have such a fear in this generation of saying the name of Jesus. I don't know if it bothers you. It bothers me. Jesus said, if any person is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, I will be ashamed of them before the angels and my father. But practically speaking, how can we acknowledge Jesus in our society before men? Number one, you can take these down. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says, always be pre prepared to give an account. First of all, be prepared. How do we get prepared to give an account to acknowledge Jesus? It means that what we do in private has to be manifested in public. It means that the way that you spend your time, priorities we heard this morning, will prepare you, will help you to give an account for the hope that you have in you. Secondly, pray for an opening. Paul wrote to the Colossians in, fourth, in chapter 4, 3 of Colossians, and he says, pray for me at the same time that a door may be opened that I may preach the gospel. We have to have prayer lives. You have to always be ready to, to preach and to share and to acknowledge Christ, but that comes when you have a prayer life, when you know him intimately and you have been spending time with your master and you've been soaking in his presence, but it also comes through the prayers of others who are praying for you to acknowledge Christ. Thirdly, unite with others. Unite with others. To acknowledge Christ, sometimes you have to follow the two-by-two two principle. We notice that Jesus sent out the 70, if you read, Luke 10, he sent out the 72 by 2. And this is a practice that we find in Scripture. All the way back into the Old Testament, we hear that two are better than one. Two are better than one. We see in the book of Acts that when Dorcas was raised, two went there. We see that two were sent in Acts chapter 10. We see the number two in many passages of Scripture, in the Gospels. Why? Because there is a principle at work here. When we acknowledge Christ, it's always good to have somebody alongside you. It's always good to find maybe that person in your, in your place of employment or your school place that is also a believer in Christ with whom you can unite together to pray and to say, do you notice what I'm noticing? Do you notice that there's a need for Christ in this place? Do you notice that there's a need for people to hear the gospel in this place? It's always good if you can find and pray for that person to cross your path to say, God, I want to unite with my fellow brother or sister to preach the gospel and share the good news, to acknowledge your name. 
Sometimes when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, there's nothing greater than to have that second person around us who comes alongside us and builds us up and encourages us in the body of Christ so that we can truly acknowledge the Lord. Do you have a prayer partner? Do you have a witnessing partner? Husband, that should be your wife first and foremost. Wife, that should be your husband first and foremost. And the first place as parents for you and I for, for us who are parents, the first place of missions and of evangelistic work is in the context of our own homes. Amen. In our own bedrooms, in our own living rooms, in our own, you know, basements. Where we hang out and wrestle around with our kids and have fun and, and eat together and laugh together and cry together. The first and most fertile place of missions work as a father and a mother is for you and your wife, for you and your husband to go and witness to your kids. And the first type of witnessing in the home that happens is the fruit of the Spirit being seen and displayed to the children around us so that they can see there's something different in mommy and daddy than in what I'm seeing somewhere else. There's a love, there's a patience, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a kindness to them. And look how much they love each other. Look how much they support each other. And yes, through words as well. We have a responsibility as parents to teach our children the word of God. To teach them the laws and the decrees of the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, how willing, how available are you to acknowledge Jesus before your kids? Before your coworkers? before your neighbors. I remember we had somebody mowing our lawn a long time ago. There was a husband, a, a, a man and a woman, husband and wife, who came to our home to mow our lawn and I saw that the lady was picking up sticks and she was throwing them somewhere and she just put her hand like this on her head and the husband was trying to console her and I was wondering, what's wrong? And so I went out and just had a conversation with them. And I looked at her and said, are you okay? And she said, she started crying. And she said, I have cancer. I have breast cancer and I just had surgery and they cut the cancer away and they did a removal and everything. I wasn't supposed to be here today. I'm, I'm in so much anguish and pain. She was weeping as she was moving sticks from one side of the yard to the other to clean up the yard. And I said, don't do that anymore. And I began to talk to her about Jesus and she began to sob. She began to weep. And I asked her, can I pray for you? And I believe, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this to brag or to, all the glory is God's. But I began to pray for her 
And she was sobbing profusely as I was praying for her. And she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she said, that is the most beautiful thing anybody has ever done for me. You mean nobody's ever prayed for you before? No. The reality is, is that we are so afraid to acknowledge Jesus because of who knows what, yet those around us are crying inwardly for hope and for mercy and for life and for a solution because they're suffering around us and they don't know where to find it. But we have the answer. We have a God who hasn't grown weak or weary or slumbers, who saves and who heals and who empowers and who quickens today and the church of Jesus Christ. It's time for the church in the West to arise for the sleeping giant, if you will, to wake up and to be the voice of John the Baptist in this generation that cries out, prepare the way of the Lord because Jesus Christ is coming back. He is returning soon and he's coming for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood. But he's looking for people to rise up in the power of an Elijah, of a John the Baptist and to speak the truth without fear. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is a snare. God is so merciful to people and oh, if we could just capture that mercy. Oh, if we could capture that reality. Many years ago, when I was yehi, really young, I used to deliver newspapers and pretty much all of my siblings delivered newspapers. We had this little collection book and we would go and knock on doors and say, can I have my money? Because we would throw newspapers onto their door, you know, door places and one day I remember coming home from school. My sister was crying. Michelle, my oldest sister, weeping. And I, I asked her, what, what happened? And she began to tell me, they died. And I said, who died? What are you talking about? And eventually, we made our way down the street and I remember seeing a huge group of people dressed in black they were mourning and wailing the Romanians in Canada at the time were they were kind of like nomadic-ish they would like to move together in various places and they had communities in various places where they would move and what had happened was that three young men from the church in Canada were driving up they were in their late teens early 20s they were driving up to the northeastern part of Canada and they had a car crash. All three of them died. You remember. One of them played the guitar, one of them played the saxophone, one of them played another instrument. They were talented, saved young musicians like yourselves. They died. They were thrown out through the windows, through the vehicle, died, and it was over. And I remember as a young man, walking in 
into the sanctuary of the church, walking in, seeing three coffins plus a fourth because there was another man in the church who I I believe had cancer and died at the same time, some other situation. And I know Brother Gigi, who's here, knows about that too. And I just couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom, I couldn't comprehend. These young men had not gone through life and it was over. I believe they're saved and they're with the Lord in glory. But you know, the interesting part of that, that, that meeting, when we went there and saw all the wailing and crying, the interesting part of that is that the fourth person in the car walked in. He walked into the, into the service that morning and he had bars and screws and a neck brace all over his body. He couldn't even lower his hands. He walked in like this. And when he turned, he turned like this. Screws and metal bars everywhere, visible. And I later found out that he was the one that had not made a profession to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that tells me? God is so merciful. God is so good. You know what it tells me? That he has our eyes on our sons and our daughters who are prodigal, on kids who don't know Christ. But he wants your voice. He wants your voice. He wants you to speak. He wants you to say something to them. And he wants you to be an example to them. That is why it's so important to acknowledge Jesus and to learn to do it now in this generation because people need to hear the gospel. Forget the language barrier for a moment. Forget the cultural nuances for a moment. Remember that God has given you a responsibility to share the truth with the suffering and the hurting. What are you doing with that? Secondly, and I'll close with this point, acknowledge him not just in front of the people, but acknowledge him in all your ways, says Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. Acknowledge him in your decision making. I remember there was a man who came here, Brother Hitchcock, years ago, and he was speaking about hearing the voice of God. And he wrote that book, My Sheep Hear My Voice. And he was saying that there are moments when he will go to his closet and he's about to minister or say something to an audience and he senses the Spirit of God telling him what he should wear for that day or for that event. Now, this is a man who's been walking with the Lord for many years. I believe him. I believe that God wants to be involved, intricately involved in every single aspect of our lives, even when it comes to the clothing we wear, even the schools that we go to, even the jobs that we change. And I want you, for the next two minutes as we close, to think back just the last three months from the beginning of 2022 of all the decisions that you made for your family, of all the decisions I made for my family, how many of them included the question 
Lord, is this in your will? In how many decisions that we've made over the last few months have we acknowledged the Lord? Have we asked him to be a part of the decision-making process to say, God, is this your will? If I'm going to apply at this school, is it your will, Lord? If I'm going to buy this car, is it your will, Lord? If I'm going to move into this house, is it your will, Lord? If I'm going to make this next step in ministry, is it your will, Lord? Because one of the reasons why we get into storms and problems and things that don't work out is because we haven't acknowledged him. We haven't taken the time to ask, Lord, is it your will? Your will be done. Jesus is the prime example of this because he says, I do what I see the Father doing. Everything about Jesus and his daily routines was tied, was linked to fellowship with the Father. It was linked to his devotional time with the Father. He's the extreme, supreme example of acknowledging the Father. You see, the third thing, and I'll close with this, not only acknowledge him in the choices you make, but acknowledge your sins before him. Interestingly, in 1 John chapter 1-9, when John says, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That word confess, that's the word homologeo again. To acknowledge. We have to acknowledge before God that we need cleansing, that we need forgiveness. As his followers, it has to be something that is done daily. In Jeremiah, God told Israel to acknowledge their guilt. Psalm 32.5 says, that, you know, David acknowledged his sin to God. He did not cover his iniquity. And then he was forgiven and he was freed. And let me just end with this quote from Augustine. This is a very, very imp important quote. Sin, okay, sin is very, very powerful and it has a huge impact on our lives. And Augustine says, sin arises when things that are a minor good are personal as though, they were not the, that as, they, as though they were the most important goods in life. If money or affection or power are sought in disproportionate, obsessive ways, sin will occur. And that sin is magnified when for lesser goals we fail to pursue the highest good and the finest goals in life. So when we ask ourselves why in any given situation we committed a sin, the answer is usually none of two th it's, it's one of two things. Either we wanted to obtain something we didn't have or we feared losing something we had. What's the cause of sin? What are the causes of sins in our lives? Not being content. Not being happy with what we have. And having a fear issue not denying ourselves and not carrying our cross as followers of Jesus Christ. So the questions for us this morning in closing are, am I a content, grateful person? Am I a content, grateful person with my, what? I, Paul said, godliness with contentment is great, is great gain. And do I have a fear problem? Do I fear losing popularity, losing possession? What is my fear problem? And if we identify these things, we should run to the cross and confess to the Lord that we need forgiveness and cleansing and acknowledge 
that we need him to help us. Let's all stand. Are you acknowledging Jesus these days? Am I acknowledging Jesus these days in the presence of others, in our decisions, in our own sinfulness at times? Are we acknowledging him? Because he waits for us to do that. Let's enter a prayer this morning as we close and ask the Lord to help us identify anything in our lives that is holding us back from acknowledging him, from professing his name, from proclaiming his name. As Pastor Romy was saying earlier this morning, what are those things that stop us? What are those things that inhibit us? And may God help us, and may he bless Bethesda Church. Amen. Hallelujah.